Well, hey, everybody from Bethany and Central and Southridge today. Uh, I'm super excited on behalf of all of our leaderships to launch into hopefully what is going to be some summer fun uh, for us in these next three weeks. To start things off, uh, I just want us to consider how many of us could honestly say that in our lifetime, we have experienced a dream come true. Have you ever experienced a dream come true? Maybe it was for a certain mark in a course or to land a certain job or get into a program at school or maybe just cross something off your bucket list. But I wonder how many of us have ever experienced a dream come true in our lives? More importantly, I'm wondering how many of us have ever taken those dreams and brought them to Jesus to try to get Jesus to make them come true on our behalf? How many of us have prayed prayers for healing from a diagnosis or from an illness or for protection for friends or loved ones, you know, family members, parents or kids or, you know, for guidance or direction on a big decision and hoped beyond hope that Jesus would answer those prayers and make those dreams come true? I'm asking that because there actually was a time in Jesus' own life where he prayed to his father and kind of begged God to make his dream come true. If you're curious to know what that's about and have a Bible with you uh, or a Bible app on your personal device, turn with me to John chapter 17 because we're going to kind of camp out there and look at what Jesus prayed in this one prayer shortly before he gave his life up for the sin of humanity. In John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, it says this. Jesus says, my prayer is not for my original disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In this short section of what is a longer prayer before Jesus gives his life up to death, Jesus actually does two things. On the one hand, he declares the dream that he has, that he's begging God to make true. And on the other hand, he realizes, he, he reveals the way in which, the manner in which that dream gets realized. So let's look at that passage again. And I've underlined, first of all, uh, the dream that Jesus states to God, the, the dream that he repeats on two separate occasions where he prays for some stuff. He says, so that in verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then again, he repeats that prayer so that then the world will know, in verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That is Jesus' dream for everyone across the whole world to know him and the reality of his life-changing love. It's very much like the, uh, the appeal that he gave to his original disciples in Matthew chapter 28 that we often refer to in the church as the Great Commission, where he said to them, go and make disciples of all 
all the nations kind of reveals his heart that everyone would come to a personal knowledge of his love for them and entrust their lives to following him. So that like the New Testament says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's Jesus' ultimate dream, that everybody across the whole earth for all time would know the reality of his life-changing love. But in this passage, he doesn't just pray for that dream to come true. He also prays for the means by which he understands that dream will come true. Take a look at the passage again. See, I've underlined the earlier parts where in verse 20, it says that Jesus prays that all of his disciples may be one. That just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, his disciples, also be in us so that his dream would come true. And then later on, he repeats that again, where he prays that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then his dream will come true. See, Jesus understands that in order for his dream to be realized, in order for the whole world to come to a personal knowledge of his life-changing love in their lives, they need to see a picture of oneness of all of the existing followers of his. And so in addition to praying to God for his dream to come true, Jesus prays for the unity of people who will believe in him. Jesus understands that the unity of believers is the secret or the key to people really understanding and knowing the reality of his life-changing love. And so the unity of all believers is what Jesus prays for in this final prayer that he offers to God in order for his dream to come true. Now, I don't know if you've ever appreciated that before, but that is a compelling invitation to you and to I and to us together and to our respective churches in a time like this. Because it represents that Jesus didn't just die and rise again to save us from something, but that Jesus actually saves us for something and invites us into the adventure of a lifetime. You know, it's one thing to appreciate that through his sinless life and his sacrificial death and his miraculous resurrection, Jesus rescues us from a life of meaninglessness and sin and death. But as if that wasn't enough, Jesus also intends to include us in a way of life and include us in partnering with him in his eternity-altering, kingdom-building plan for the world. In fact, that's what he ultimately made his Holy Spirit available to do, to empower followers of his to do that. Look what Jesus says to his original followers in Acts 1.8. He says to them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You and I and us together have been given the unthinkable privilege, not just to be rescued from something, but to be included together in something, in the adventure of being Jesus' witnesses and revealing his life-changing love to others. What I wonder today, though, is whether we've appreciated the primary means by which that actually happens. Because I know that especially as our respective churches, we care a lot about this. 
I know that all of our churches have offered things like the Alpha program to help people kind of discover for themselves the life-changing love of Jesus. I know that at holidays, like around Christmas or Easter weekend, we all deliberately soup up our weekend services so that they'll have extra punch and impact, particularly for those who don't yet know the life-changing love of Jesus for themselves. I know that our churches care about this. What I wonder, though, is whether we've appreciated the primary means by which that happens. Because when Jesus offered that one prayer, he didn't pray for a course. He didn't pray for a program. He didn't pray for a special service at holiday times. He specifically prayed for the oneness of all of us, the oneness of all of his would-be followers to paint a picture of unity because to Jesus, that picture of unity more than anything else was going to paint a picture that would be compelling to people to let them know the reality that he was sent from God. As we think about that and wonder in our own lives what that could look like to be more united with more believers, you know, maybe there's some internal hesitation because we know that we don't track with every believer and we know that, you know, we don't necessarily track with every single Christian church and we gravitate more towards some things than others and some people more than others. And maybe we're wondering whether we can even have friends anymore if we're supposed to kind of be one and be united and paint a picture with everybody. Well, I assume that, you know, this side of eternity at least, that there are always going to be preferences there are always going to be people, even in the Christian church, who kind of gravitate more to being dog lovers versus cat lovers, or people who like the Toronto Maple Leafs and people who don't understand hockey. <laughs> there are always going to be people who gravitate to certain people because it's just a reality of life that birds of a feather tend to flock together. But we need to appreciate today that if we are actually going to be the answer to Jesus' one prayer, and if we are together going to be part of making his dream come true, there actually are some deliberate steps that we're going to have to take to work against that bias. Because the trick to achieving oneness in Christ is actually moving away from our natural predisposition towards sameness. If we're going to achieve oneness, we have to move away from sameness in some key specific ways. The Bible actually talks about three of those ways. And so if you're taking notes, you can scribble them down. The first, if we're going to experience a greater degree of oneness in Christ, is to embrace our primary identity in Christ. So often we can kind of self-identify according to our background or our cultural heritage or maybe some preferences or our socioeconomic status or, you know, certain styles or whatever. And yet in the New Testament, it teaches this, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Whatever those markers are, whatever those ways of distinguishing us and providing us identity might be in this world, they actually are to be secondary to our primary identity in Christ that unites all of us, no matter who we are or where we come from. Similarly, we've got to embrace our primary loyalty to Christ if we're going to experience a oneness that's compelling to the watching world. 
Oftentimes, humans have this tendency to kind of subdivide or organize according to preferences and allegiances and even loyalties to certain people or leaders. But again, in the New Testament, it says, when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, are you not mere human beings? Meaning, are you not approaching things from a worldly perspective, not from a spiritual perspective? Because your primary loyalties are to human leaders, not to the ultimate leader who intends to lead all followers of his, the person of Jesus Christ. Which leads us into the third key to kind of defying sameness and embracing oneness. It's probably the trickiest of all, and that is to embrace our primary followership of Christ. Because so often the Christian church subdivides into little groups based on different interpretations or biases in the way that we understand the scriptures. Often we call these subgroups denominations, but even in those denominations, there are even more subgroups and little nuances according to how different people interpret different aspects of what the Bible teaches. But again, in the New Testament, it teaches this in Romans chapter 14. It says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of beliefs about food. See, this was happening in the first century church. The people were starting to argue over different behaviors and different interpretations of what the teachings of God actually meant. And they were about to divide, but Paul says to not divide because to divide over those kind of ancillary issues, to divide over something other than the primary message involved in following Jesus, the by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, simplicity of the message of following Christ. Paul says anything other than that is to destroy the work of God. That when we subdivide over different interpretations of the scriptures, we actually destroy the work of God. Because the work of God, Paul understood, like Jesus' one prayer, to make everyone aware and help them know the reality of Jesus' life-changing love, depended most on our unity and on the behaviors and commitments to oneness. I don't know about you, but I didn't always understand or appreciate that in my life. In fact, there was a time in my life where I used to view other believers and especially other churches, to be totally frank, uh, as more competitors than colleagues in that mission. In fact, there was a time where I remember in my drive to work, it's about a 5K drive between my house and my office, uh, I pass about a half dozen different Christian churches. And earlier on in my ministry life, I'd drive by these churches to or from work, and I'd always kind of wonder what was going on in those churches, what they, were, what they were up to on that particular day. And secretly, I would wonder to myself, I hope they're not up to as cool things as, as we're trying to be up to. I hope they're not doing as well as we are. Then one day, uh, I had a conversation with a gentleman who was part of an Anglican church in the city, closer to downtown. And he had made this comment to me that my grandpa would be proud of me. He said, my grandpa would be proud of me because he knew my grandpa when he was alive. My grandfather was an Anglican minister in town. Here's a photo of him uh, together with my Nana. And uh, my grandfather passed away when I was very young, so I didn't get a chance really to know him. But uh, he was an Anglican minister in town. He actually died of a heart attack on a Sunday afternoon after preaching that morning. 
So for those of you who wonder, you know, why I don't preach more often, uh, I'm actually genetically predisposed to kind of freaking out every time I give one of these talks, just in case something might happen. But uh, when this gentleman said that my grandpa would be proud of me, I, I just kind of took it as, you know, he knew my grandpa, my grandpa was a pastor, I'm a pastor, that's kind of cool, yeah, sure, he'd be proud of me. But he actually pressed in and explained why. And he said, you might not know this, but your grandpa was instrumental in planting that Anglican church just down the street from where your office at Southridge is located, which happened to be one of those churches that I drive by on my way to and from work. And he said, on top of that, what you probably definitely don't know is that to plant that church, your grandpa was part of those prayer meetings and those planning sessions to launch that church that took place in the very school that Southridge now has occupied and renovated as your home base in St. Catharines. And that was when God wrecked me over all this. Because up until that point, I'd been driving by a church like that, kind of hoping that they secretly wouldn't do as well as we did, not realizing that people like my grandpa had said prayers and prayed to God that his purposes would advance through a ministry like that and actually prayed those prayers and planned those plans in the very same rooms that I pray those prayers and plan those plans today. And I realized then that I was actually destroying the work of God because of my disunity. And it caused me to kind of face a, a real ugly reality in my own life. And that was the question, whose dreams did I ultimately want realized? Was I ultimately giving myself to pursue God's dream that the whole world would know him through the primary mechanism of unity? Or was I just interested in my dreams, you know, in our church's dreams. You know, since that day, uh, when I drive by and see other churches or interact with other churches, I try to make a point of saying a blessing to them, to, to, you know, saying a, press, a, a blessing, a prayer to God to just pour his blessing out on them, to give his best to them, that his best would happen through them. Um, the last number of years, the leadership of Southridge has actually freed up some of the senior leadership's time around our church specifically to invest beyond just the ministry of Southridge into the broader Christian church so that as a church community, we can care about more than just the ministry of Southridge. In fact, we've tried to pull off uh, just a more drastic move of unity sometimes where we've tried to entertain partnering or merging with another church or, you know, joining churches. And these days, you know, when I think about bucket list activities in my life, it, it doesn't include things like climbing Everest or traveling or doing something extraordinary like that. I actually dream of a day where in my lifetime I could help just two Christian denominations merge together to become one. Because when I started leading our church uh, over two decades ago, there were in the neighborhood of somewhere around 33,000 Christian denominations. My understanding is that today that number has grown to like 45,000 all around the world. And I wonder what it would take to reverse that tie just once and to bring two together as one to paint a more compelling picture to the watching world. I know for that to happen though, that requires one basic bedrock question. And that is, whose dream am I pursuing? And I wonder how you'd answer that question in your life today as well. You know, Henry Blackaby once said, if you want to experience more of God in your life, 
Spend less time asking God to bless what you're doing and spend more time looking at what, what God blesses and do more of it. And I hope that we'd be inspired in this way to do more of that, to realize that what God is in the business of is making himself known and what God blesses are actions of unity among and across divides all across his spiritual family so that we can paint a more compelling picture to the watching world. I know that not just personally, but on behalf of our three leadership groups and on behalf of Andrew and Bill, they share that heart as well. And that actually is the heart behind this three-week series. Andrew and Bill and I have been talking for some time of doing a series like this. Thankfully, COVID is giving us the video online experience to do that. And uh, you got to know that this flows out not just of a, a way to spend three weeks together. This flows out of a deep sense of camaraderie and ultimately of friendship be between the three of us as leaders. You probably don't know that, you know, when we head into holidays like Christmas or Easter, inevitably one of us will send the other two of us a group text on our iMessage group chat, just encouraging each other and letting each other know that we're praying for one another and hope that our special services are really spectacular. When COVID first hit, one of the very first Zoom meetings that I was a part of was one with Andrew and Bill, just kind of comparing notes on how we were processing things and how our leaderships were thinking about navigating this pandemic so that all of our churches could thrive. We actually are not in competition with each other, which might surprise you, especially if you've been part of one of our churches and actually transitioned to maybe a different one of our churches. We know that that happens, that people kind of move around in Niagara and even among our three churches. And as leaders, we actually help one another navigate those transitions because we're not in competition with each other. We want to band together and continue to band together in even more spectacular ways because all three of us and all of our respective leaderships want Jesus' dream to come true. We want the whole world and especially all of Niagara to know the life-changing power of Jesus' love for themselves. And we know the primary means that's gonna deliver that result. We know what it's gonna take and we're committed to growing in that unity and oneness together. And so in these next three weeks, we want to invite you into that adventure along with us. And for today, we want you to consider whether you'll be compelled by this grander vision that Jesus has for our lives beyond our own individual faith, beyond our own individual separate churches, beyond being saved from something, but to be saved for something, to be saved for something compelling and to be saved for something that requires all of us together. Will we appreciate that Jesus, before he gave his life up for the death of you and I, actually prayed one prayer with one dream, and that that one prayer and one dream includes us? And will we care enough about making his dream come true that we'll care more about oneness than about sameness so that you and I and us together can be the answer to Jesus' one prayer? I don't know if it strikes you, but it certainly strikes me when I consider all the times I've gone to Jesus and asked him to make my dreams come true. All the prayers that I've offered up to Jesus, that at the end of the day, he only offered up one and that I have the opportunity and we have the opportunity to answer it. 
So in these next three weeks, let's join together and give ourselves the consideration about whether each of us personally and us together will be willing to do what it takes to be the answer to the one prayer of the one who answers all of ours. Will you and me and us together give our lives to making Jesus' dream come true? Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you for the life that you invite us into, that through Jesus, you don't just save us from something, but save us for something. And I pray that you would inspire us with that grander vision this morning. God, I thank you for these three respective churches, and I pray that even now you would sear our hearts together as one, one in unity, one in a common identity, a common loyalty and a common followership to the person of Jesus alone so that together across this Niagara region, we can make your dream come true to a greater degree and allow all of Niagara and even beyond to know the reality of the life-changing love of your son, Jesus Christ, through the picture of oneness that we paint. God, help us personally in our hearts and minds to do the work of choosing oneness, over sameness and help us each and us together to make that commitment to answer the one prayer of the one who answers all of ours in his, in Jesus' precious and powerful name. We pray all these things. Amen.